Welcome to the Develop in the Dark podcast, brought to you by New Spring Church. We'll prepare you with biblical truths to help you meet the demands of your reality. Hey friends, we're going to bring you some bonus content today. As we finished up season one, we realized we wanted to get into some of the questions that you have that maybe we didn't get a chance to cover. And one of those questions is the theology of war. And as we speak today, uh, October the 11th, 2023, war is breaking out in the Middle East. And many people are asking the questions and they're really wrestling with this content. What should a Christian think about war? And so we're going to spend a little time wrestling ourselves with that today and hopefully giving you some things to think about as you wrestle and as you develop in the dark. All right, friends, welcome to Develop in the Dark. You know, uh, we've really enjoyed this first season together. Yeah, Trev, I just want to say out loud, man, I love doing this with you, and I want to tell all our listeners out there, we love you guys. It's been a joy and a privilege. We want to tell you thank you for letting us serve you like this in Mm -hmm. a way that hopefully you look back over these last several episodes and go, man, that's that's helpful for me to think about developing in the dark. That's right. We've rolled through in the first season really all things theology, and just an overview of theology. We got to the end of our time uh, in season one, and we said, why don't we ask people what they, you know, do they have any questions that they want us to cover? Meanwhile, intersecting with that, almost at the same time, a lot of things stirring up in our world today. Yeah, yeah. And so what we've decided to do is really tackle one of the bigger questions that that's coming through to us right now, and that is the theology of war. How is all of this affecting us? How do we really process as believers what's happening in our world and our part to play in it, whatever that is. And so we're looking forward to that conversation today. Yeah. um, You know, just really this thing bubbled up to the surface because we've got a lot of folks that have leaned in, and I specifically have heard from our 20-somethings that they've not had a moment in history really where it's this in front of them. Acute. Uh, yeah, this acute I, moment. I've shared before, my first mm-hmm. day of college was, was 9-11. Right. And so it was a conversation that you had in, in the everyday, mm. in the years that you know transpired and how everything was handled there. But now we're in, you know for 20 years essentially, we've been living in pretty much peaceful times here in the United States, you yeah, know, if you want to say that. Right. But. And we, we were talking to a 20-something just today and asked her, where were you uh, 9-11? And she's like, I, I wasn't born yet. Yeah. So that that moment of acuteness for everyone that we felt so much in maybe a previous generation, now people are really trying to process, you know, hey, we're sending out a message of kingdom and we we want to love people and we want to we want to see people into this in into God's kingdom. But how do we navigate the complexity of living in a world that is conflicted, it's chaotic, and it's full of war? against this idea of a kingdom that's advancing, that's a spiritual kingdom that we do want to see advance. We want to see people come into it. And this kingdom that we want to see people come into is about peace and love and all of the things. So how do we kind of process that? Yeah, so the question to develop in the dark is, just let me ask it very pointedly, how should a Christian think about war? Mm, that's great. How should a Christian, someone who says, I follow King Jesus, think about war? And so let's just start real quick with just some big broad brushstrokes around what King Jesus thought mm. about violence and war, mm. because those things aren't subjective, right? right? We can go right to the word and just what comes to your mind when you think about Jesus, Trev, and you think about how he thought yeah. about violence, what were the things that he, he brought forward in his teaching? Right. You know? Well, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind um, is Sermon on the Mount. Okay. And, uh, you know, you have a 
um, even in in this conversation, a big part of the conversation is around uh, Jesus's words, turn the other cheek. Mm. And what exactly does that mean yeah. in, in our context? How do we uh, live that out? Uh, you know, Paul has a similar passage in Romans 12, where he's talking about, you know, vengeance is the Lord's and, you know, uh, as it, as far as it depends on you, live with live peaceably with all people and this sort of thing. So, uh, the words of Jesus contrasting against that, you have Jesus very clearly telling the disciples to pick up swords, right? And then and then later on, he you know in the moment of his arrest, tells Peter, no, 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 put your sword down. I want this to happen. Yep. So there's there's a tension even in the New Testament of how Jesus is talking about this, and so I think as we as we move forward into it, we've got to ask the hard questions: What is Jesus specifically talking about in the Sermon on the Mount? What's Paul talking about in places like Romans twelve? And then you contrast those and compare those against Paul's words in Romans thirteen, the next chapter, right, where he's he's talking about. Uh, the idea of civil government's role is to restrain evil and punish the wicked. Um, how do we put all that together? There's so there, this is a complex. So we have to just acknowledge that this is a complex question, and uh, you know we're going to try to give you a lot of ideas to process. A lot of things in the show notes that you can come back and and look at, at a lot of different viewpoints on this. But we want to try to just encourage all of you to get into the word on this. Yes. Because at the at the end of the day, how do you decide anything is just? So we're talking about the idea of just war. Is 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 there any sort of war that is justified? How do you decide if any moral action is justified? Say for instance, tomorrow someone comes in and says, uh, you know, we're gonna segregate lunch counters again. The Supreme Court passes a law that says or you know, signs off in the law that we're going to make uh, lunch counters segregated. How do you know that that's wrong if it's a human law? And you have to go back to God's word yep. to figure out how to process all this. So at the end of the day, we want you digging into the scriptures to see what the Lord has to say about this. And I think as we process through, beginning with the Sermon on the Mount is a great place to start. Yeah, so the words of Christ there, famously, one of the more recognizable phrases that he says there is, if you're, if you're struck on one side of the cheek, turn the other. Mm. So there are, in their entire movements, entire denominations that have built their entire view on war based on that space of turn the other cheek, Mm -hmm. combined with the reference you made earlier to when Jesus is getting arrested, Peter pulls out a sword, which just side note, Jesus would have known he had that sword for a long time, right? Right. Along with the other zealots that are around him. Mm -hmm. And uh, and he says, no, not this way, puts Mm -hmm. the ear back on. Okay. So there are a couple of ways to just view war. And so mm-hmm. uh, there was a really helpful read. I'm going to make a suggestion right here. I'll, we'll put this in the show notes. It's about four views, four right. Christian views of sure. war. And so just quickly, if, is it all sure. right? I'd love to just put these in front of us. So the one we want to talk about right here is is the view of pacifism. Mm-hmm. Then we're going to chat for a bit just about just war. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then I think that there's some um, uh, conscientious objector kind of applications, and then there are some pragmatic ways to approach all of those things, but then there's there's holy war as well. And right. there are Christians that hold those views. Mm. Historically. Historically, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So we can put up a fantastic book. Shout out to seminary prof Trevin Wax uh, recommended mm. this book to me, uh, you know, last year, and it was 
I didn't know we were going to be sitting in the space we're in. But right. let's get back to that pacifism deal, Trev, yeah. because I think it is one that really, you know, the idea that we just as Christ followers are not going to engage. We're mm. just not going to embrace violence. Um, we're not going to embrace any kind of physicality mm. when it comes to being attacked or being. We're going to, like Christ said, hey, if you want to follow me, you got to have to carry a cross. Right. And so that looks like coming and dying. And if this is the will of God, then that's what happens. Right. So that's the pacifistic mindset and approach. Right. And up against that is really a Mago Dei teaching. Mm-hmm. And and I don't know that those ne- things necessarily contradict. I don't think they do. But you begin to think about a Mago Dei and what does the Imago Dei tell you to, you know, inform you about God's character in those situations where you are hit in the face, right? So when Jesus is talking about being smacked in the face and you give the other cheek, the real issue there is he's is he speaking to an individual or is he talking more broadly about um, a person's restraint of evil as it relates to other people? So mm-hmm. as an example, if you were to come up and smack me in the face, and really if you look at that scripture very carefully, it's the right cheek. Most of us are right-handed, so this person would be getting smacked backhanded, right? Uh, So it's talking about insults, um, I think. And if you're insulted personally, how do you respond to that? I think the Romans 12 passage is is there as well, that there is a a way in which you subject yourself to that moment and you carry your cross and you become a witness to that person individually and the fact that you're going to turn that over to the Lord. But the Imago Dei in us would say, when I see some evil happening in in my family, something's happening to my wife or my children or my neighbor or my neighbor's neighbor, there's something in me that rises up to protect and defend, and that would come, that that intuition would come from the Lord as Mm. a protector and a provider, Mm. someone who wants us to to live and, and to be... Be good, yeah, right, yeah, and so that to me seems to be how to parse out what's happening in in the Sermon on the Mount against over and against some of these other passages that seem to indicate we have a responsibility, right, to protect and defend the innocent, the people who are who are vulnerable, yep. Um, and we we've talked ad nauseum about Imago Dei, the idea that people have a responsibility to protect the Imago Dei in in the vulnerable in vulnerable people in our society. So Yeah. So I think something you're doing right here, and I just want to point it out and we'll slow down and just kind of you are holding simultaneous truths in mm, tension. That's right. Versus saying it's this way and mm. the other parts of the scripture are not mm. what we need to lean into. No, right. no, no, no. And then somebody else said, No, no, no. This is this is what it says here in Romans 13. Mm. And so so what you're doing for us is you're holding all these truths in tension, which again, I just want to commend, this is the way to develop in the dark. Right. It's not whether Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is right, it is, mm. or whether Romans 12 and 13 is right, it is also. Mm. It's, it's how do you hold those things in tension? And so now I think one of the pieces here that's been helpful in terms of looking at this is how do we order our loves accordingly? Right. So you were just mentioning that you read Matthew 5, 6, and 7, it's very individualistic, which right. I would... 
I completely agree. Jesus mm. is using lots of metaphors, using lots of hyperbole. You right. know, there's other he, places where he says, yeah. hey, if your right hand Gouger. calls you to sin, mm-hmm. cut it off. Or your yeah. eye, cut it. He's, and he uses hyperbole to make his point. But I think he is giving us an ethic, a principle of the way to operate as individuals, mm. primarily. Right. Because he's talking to individuals about how are you going to navigate daily life? Mm. How are you going to navigate going to school and the you know, interpersonal relationships at the office? And how are you going to talk to your boss or that person that's just snarky to you or, you, mm. you're, you know, whatever? There's some individualistic principles at, at work here. And I think, by and large, the thing we're called to do, insult or in physicality, is when I'm punched, I'm not punching back. Right, right. When I'm slapped, I'm not slapping back. When I'm, not, when I'm insulted, I'm not bringing razor blades right back at you. Mm. I'm absorbing that whatever that person's bringing, I'm absorbing that. And in that way, I'm becoming like Christ and like the kingdom. He absorbed so much for us, yep. right? That he, he could have returned that's to right. us. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that's that exactly in him right. we might become. Now, the other thing you just did, Trev, and I don't, you might have done it on purpose. We didn't mm. really get a chance to really talk through this. But one of the things you did was you said, if I am witness to some evil, mm. is, is it not on me to respond in protection right. of an evil that I've observed, because now we're talking about a sin of omission, perhaps. Mm. If I'm sitting somewhere watching evil occur to someone, and it is clear and present danger, so to speak, it's passive. And, and so, but I'm gonna, Passivity. I'm gonna turn, and I'm not instead yeah. of, it's, I'm gonna turn and look away. Mm. This reminds me of in some, the name of Christ, you're turning and looking away. Whoa. Just if I'm being honest here, because I, I really wrestle with the pacifism thing, because I, I, oh, I, I like it in some regard. Like, I love, and it's the right tool in some moments, but then it doesn't hold up in a granular space when you see someone that is being put in a threatening scenario right. to do nothing feels absolutely sinful. Right. Not just, not just it, it feels sinful. You know how when you, th- when you think about being in two kingdoms, we're in the kingdom of heaven because yeah. of Christ, but we're in the kingdom of, of, of this world as yeah. well. Yeah. I think when we, we focus on passivism or peace or you know, whatever adjective you want to put there, we're, we're talking about an idealized situation where this is what we want. Yeah. Nobody wants war. Yeah. Nobody wants to pull in the parking lot, see something bad happening. Well, you know, I think you, you make, no Christian should want war. That's right. Nobody exactly. that, that says Christ is my that's Lord. A, that's a good wants war, But there point. are definitely people in the sure. right. So, but you're saying, I'm saying no follower of exactly. Yeshua wants war. Right. Yeah. So what's happening when we completely embrace, I think, passivism without considering our responsibility to our family, our fellow men... What we're doing is we're putting ourselves completely over in the kingdom of, of heaven, heaven, and what some theologians would call an overrealized eschatology. Yes. It's like we're already skipping; in the end we're skipping back to its all the way to the all, all the way down to the fullness, and we're being naive about the fact that we're in this world now. Yeah, and that the, the, there are things that we have to deal with now. So, as it relates to restraining evil, restraining evil. The, the pacifist position, in many ways, is untenable. So what I mean by that is it's hard, it's hard to hold on to yeah. because I can talk to someone and have talked to a lot of folks who they really love the pacifist position and want to be there, and so do we want to be there, but they would acknowledge if someone came into their home and was trying to hurt, hurt their family one. that they would attempt to restrain evil. Mm. And in that way, they're not purely pacifist. Right. Or they appreciate a police force. 
Or that's a great example. So, so again, I think when we talk about war, you can say, "Well, I'm a I'm a pacifist, right?" But that if you can't be a purely pacifistic person, if you still believe that there should be police, right, mm-hmm. and that if you're having your home broken into, that you couldn't call nine one one and ask for help, right? Because what you're doing in that is you're asking someone to come and use force to, to stop someone from doing something morally wrong, right? And so we've got to figure that out. How does the big vision of war on a grand nation, national scale, mm-hmm. worldwide scale, how does it fit fit into the granular day in and day out lived experience? Right. The pacifist would also say that, and I think this is a Absolutely a generalization. There are yeah, we're, different, we're kind, right, there's different kinds of pacifists. Sure. That all war is bad. Mm-hmm. And there is a sense in which we would say that too, that war never does what you think it's going to do. Well, when just when you think about heaven, we know Revelation 1 says there's going to be a place of no more tears. No right. more, okay, So there's not going to be any war there. Right. Yeah. But the pacifist position would say that any sort of intervention, any sort of war, is not the is not He's the motivated thing, by right. evil. But then you begin to think through how do you, how do you know that that's true? You're making a an assumption there on based on your moment in history. Uh, I think about World War II as an example, mm-hmm. and you had some things happening there that were evil, and you had another group coming in and restraining that evil and keeping that from progressing. Right. And now for us to look back and say, well. All of that was illegitimate. I can feel, as I, you bring up World War II, I can feel Dietrich Bonhoeffer, mm. famous, right. famous believer, famous for the way he lived. I mean, just I'm challenging and inspirational. And complex character. Complex. But one of the things that came up toward the end of his life was he was a part of a, a pretty sophisticated attempt on Adolf Hitler's life. Mm. As a minister of the gospel, and I mean a fine minister of the gospel, I mean, mm-hmm. he, is, he is lauded. Now, he's a man like any other, but he got to the place where he saw that by eliminating Adolf Hitler and all things that he was trying to bring in, he would actually be saving the lives of countless folks. And he would be restraining evil. Restraining evil. So mm-hmm. th- that, is, that is one of the things we must consider as we think about war, as you're filtering, developing in the dark, what is the Christian responsibility— spirit-filled man, spirit-filled woman, to restrain evil. Mm. At a granular level, someone kicks your door in and they're going to hurt your loved ones. It's known, it's, it's, it's an obvious. What's your responsibility? Mm. What's, what, is, what is the sin of omission? Think about your son, my son. Uh, they're, they're in elementary school, and there's the bully there that you've tried everything. The kid has tried everything. At what point does do you have to tell your son defend it's yourself. time to defend yourself? It's yeah. time to restrain evil. Or this actually happened as my son was growing up. He's seeing someone else in the playground get bullied. just bullied and beat. What's his if he is passive in that moment? He's watching this kid who's vulnerable get the you know yeah. stuff beat out of him. Yeah, and so he intercedes yeah. in that moment. Yeah. You know, I can only be proud yeah. because he had already processed what he was going to do in that moment. Yeah. And what's what is right. And you've got to think there that there's an absorption if you intercede, right? That is very much a pointer and a shadow to right. our king who stepped stepped in and uh, defended us. That's right. Right. So I do want to point this out. One of the ways that a pacifist generally grabs a hold of their view and ability to be able to be um, a pacifist is 
classically, they believe in the justice of God eternally. And so when Christ says he's going to bring the sword, he's going to bear the sword, right. that he is the avenger, you know, don't uh, don't be retributive because he is sure. going to, that they find that faith into eternity as a source and supply for them to be able to navigate. And, and, I, and it's commendable. And I, I think mean, that is actually a beautiful way to turn the other cheek. Mm. It's a beautiful way to go as far as you can until you right. get to a place where it's time to, at least my conviction, stop mm evil from hurting others. Right, right. right. And, and again, I think that looking ahead to this future reality that we all are praying and hoping for is just a bit naive about where we are now. Yeah. You know, in conversations around this... Well, it ignores depravity, this, it ignores, yeah. you know, t- t- whether you think it's radical and total, or, mm. or but it just ignores sin in the earth. Yeah, there's yeah. a there's an element of this that's um, if we allow these evil things to happen to the people around us or to us, it hastens the day. Okay, and it it moves us closer to this uh, the end where all things are made right. Right, but I do think it's a naive view of the fact that he has placed us in time in a location. The fact that you are in a specific location that God has put you in a community is a sacred thing. I mean, you can look in Acts and see that he has set he's a, he's right. sovereignly set us in a place. And that means that your neighbors around you are not an accident. Your yeah. country around you is not an accident. Folding into all of this is the role of our kind of national, you know, how do we relate to civil, civil gov- government, government to, to national about, Because stuff. I think this is one that, candidly, just as I've pastored and ministered, is a bit of a, a blind spot mm. right now. And I think, you know, uh, it's even a hashtag and memes out there. It's like first world problems, and we are the benefactors so much so of the freedoms we have that we don't realize how those freedoms were achieved. Mm. And so where do we as Christ followers get our theology for civil government, Trevor? Where does that come from? And what is the role of civil government? Like there is something about restraining evil, but there's a whole other thing that Jesus affirms, as does Paul, as does Peter, about the kingdoms of this world punishing those that have done evil as well. So it's not just about restraining evil. Right. So I'm not going to just stop someone who's breaking in a home and going to hurt somebody. Mm. But if someone does break into a home and hurt someone, we're going to then, in a court of law, by rule of law, we're going to go after, capture, and we're going to, there's going to be punitive mm-hmm. um, realities to that, That's punishment. Right. Well, right here it is. This is uh, Romans. I think it would be good for us just to read through this and, and, and then comment over it. But Romans 13, it says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. There's no authority except from God. Those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resist what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Mm. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. And then it goes on, for because of this, you also pay taxes for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. That's amazing. You know, you read that and I actually um, had in my mind pop up the testimony of Justin Martyr. 
Mm. Fox's Book of Martyrs. Sure. And so he was a Roman citizen living in Rome, and one of the things that he historically does— Why don't you go back and just explain Fox's Book of Martyrs okay, before so, you go into that? Well, it, it just that it, it's a, a whole bunch of testimonies— Big old of, thick book. —of all kinds of Christians in history that have laid down their life for the cause of Christ. That's right. Okay. Okay. So that's Fox's Book of Martyrs. Um, side note, there was a, a new revamped edition done by DC Talk— just a few years ago. Okay. All right. Um, It's got a copy of that one. All right. But here's one of the things that Justin Martyr wrote. He wrote to the ruling body in Rome and said, why do you keep killing us? We're your very finest citizens. I'm Mm. shorthanding it. Sure. And to to the point, he had read Paul. He had read Paul in Romans 13. And so you you have these followers of Jesus who believe... In Christ, but they're also they're paying their taxes. They're living. They're living lot, but you're but you're being persecuted and killed. And so anyway, he he made a a really incredible plea and a, an incredible testimony to say we're we're the very finest citizens of this nation because it was mm. the nation that God had chosen for them to be in. And it didn't right. mean that they were co-opting in any kind of evil things that Rome was doing, but they were living as good citizens. Mm. And so it, he just comes to mind when it comes to civil government and how we're. Really, again, the Bible says that all government um, has been ordained mm. and then is now being f- used by God sovereignly to bring about justice. Mm. Is That's the way Paul writes in Romans 13. One of the ways I think people try to, to talk about that is to make a distinction between what they were experiencing in the first century there mm-hmm. versus what we're experiencing now. And I would just say that when Paul is writing that, Peter later on echoes the the same in his letters. In his yep. letters, almost the ex, you know similar same language. phrase. Yeah, mm-hmm. honor the emperor. You know what kind of government and what kind of emperors were they talking about? We're talking about D- Nero and, and D- Domitian, and you <laughs> yeah. know there's some pretty hardcore folks. And not only that, they're living in an, an oppressive, an occupying force. And so there very much was an us versus they. You know, when when the Christians were talking about the government, they were talking about this other thing over there yeah. that was exercising control and and that sort of thing. Well, in our context, for us as we you know we go into a, a church service, we're going to be standing right beside people attending church who are policemen, mm-hmm. who are in the military, mm-hmm. who are civil servants. And and for us to make some sort of distinction now that it's us and they to me doesn't hold up in the context that we're in now. Right. Okay. That we have to we have to understand that you know this this thing that we're doing it's the responsibility of us as we relate to civil government, but we're in there with the civil government. Well, you I, know, I, I, in a, I vote. a partner. Yeah, you well, know. I'm invited to vote in a de- democratic and republic. You may not be yeah. a, uh, in the military, you may not be a policeman, but you are a partner in yeah. what's happening in the in, in our context. At the grandest level, right, of course, but then also at the local level. And so mm-hmm. this, is, this is good for us to think about. And mm-hmm. so, you know, just the very finest illustration that I've, I've really – grabbed a hold of in my time here, Trev, is this this illustration of two circles and this idea, this Venn diagram, if people can the see overlap. it in their mind. Yeah, mm-hmm. the overlap. And so there is an individualized ethic that I think we see Christ give us very clearly in the Sermon on the Mount. Mm. Okay. We're going to do our best principally to turn the other cheek, to not 
bring insult to insult. We're, we're, that's the kind of a person I am in my mm. individual life. You live inside of a home, you live inside of a neighborhood, that's how I'm going to operate. At the same time, there's this other circle. This other circle is the governing bodies in which we live, whether it's mm. here in America or maybe somebody's listening in you know another country. And there is a place of overlap where those two realities, there, there's a place where we've got to recognize there, there's someone who is restraining evil, and that's good. Mm. And there's someone who is punishing evil, mm. and that's good mm. when evil is there to punish. But I think the way to put all of that into crystal clear clarity is to think about myself first with the Lord. Mm. And the Lord, the Bible tells me, and I believe it, that I'm evil from birth. Mm. And that justice from birth for me was for God to just go ahead and say, nope. you've been judged. Yep. You're sinful. Mm. But it was the kindness of God in that space that would lead me and everybody else who's listening to this towards repentance. Mm. And it's a powerful, catalytic, transitional gospel. Mm. But the reality of that is I'm not going to go and apply all of these things without first being sourced from a place where I know God allowed justice and mercy to kiss mm. at the cross, and I've been the benefactor of that. Mm. And so Christ received Brad Cooper's justice on the cross, and he extends his gift of mercy to me, and now I'm going to operate from that tension. Mm. And it is a tension, but I'm, I'm going to operate also understanding that there's an individualistic ethic, and there's a governmental ethic, and there are places where those things overlap. Mm. And that's, that's where I think we find ourselves today a little right. bit is um, when there's clear and present danger and we've got to restrain evil and we've got to, we've got to punish those that have done harm or they've got, the rule of law has you're, to be You're doing it from a source, account. you're not doing it arbitrarily. That's correct. I think the same sort of thing applies to the, the man or woman who is being asked to serve in the military. Mm-hmm. Now, now it's a volunteer service, but what if conscription begins yeah, draft and, occurs, and yeah. all of a sudden people are being drafted into the, the military? Is it okay for a Christian then to, to, serve. Uh, to serve in this in these scenarios where they're going to be put in these positions? And um, I think having the source of, of Jesus in your heart and the Holy Spirit speaking through His voice, through the Word, is what this person in the military needs. I, I think that... If you look at the New Testament, there's nothing in the New Testament that would prevent someone from being a part of the military. I I don't see that. But what I do see is, as you listen to the Holy Spirit about your participation in that, that you do have to order your loves. Mm, That's exactly right. And and I think you know this happens with us as we as we think about submission to the authorities, submission to people who are in direct authority over us. Generally speaking, that text says. You submit yourself to the authority because but the authority is under, is under the capital God. A authority yeah, of it's, God. It's, it's under God's authority. In other parts of the text, you see Paul and Peter and others, you know, Silas and others, saying, "We can't stop speaking about what we've heard. I hear what you're saying, but I'm under a higher authority." Right before the Sanhedrin, this is That's the way John exactly and Peter right. speak. So, you know? so this person who's in the police force, the military force, or if you are in any sort of situation. And you're acting under authority, and the the law, the rule comes down. You need to do this, and you know it's contradictory to God's law. Then you have to make a choice, and then you have to deal with the consequence there. That's correct, and be willing for that. And this is the picture we have of the three friends in the book of Daniel. Mm. You know, everybody bow now when the music plays, and they 
they say with honor in their mouth, we don't mean any dishonor here, Nebuchadnezzar, but we cannot because there was a higher law. That's right. And they didn't dishonor, they didn't slander, they didn't you know, send bad emails about the king. Uh, they honored him, and then they stood to honor God, and they mm. were ready for the fire, and God honored that. And so we've got to be a people that live in tension. It feels tense because it's, it, it is. is a tension to be lived mm. out, and it is complex, but it is something I think we all need to think about right now, and it's being called to mind. And beautiful conversations mm. could be had at dinner tables or with you know Bible studies in the days ahead because right. it's it's time to get your mind around this. That's right. Well, we, we're, what we're going to do is we're going to load up the, the show notes. Show notes. Yeah. Clearly, Brad and I are not pacifists, but we love and respect some people who are. We're going to put some of those resources in the show notes as well, so that you can read and ultimately get to God's word. What does God God's word say? You know, we didn't talk about holy war and no, some of those all, kind yeah, of things, yeah. but we'll link some some helpful resources in there to help you out. But our time is coming to a close in this bonus content, yeah. and uh, we're just so thankful for you as you develop in the dark. Yeah, we hope you guys would just, again, feel loved and feel shepherded and feel like this is something we should talk about, and mm. this is an opportunity, just side note, Christian, pst, this is an opportunity to show the distinctives of the kingdom of heaven in a way that does not square with a lot of the ways the world thinks. Mm. And in so doing, you've got an awesome, awesome it's opportunity. permission to, op- to wrestle with yeah. this stuff. And, and yeah. put the gospel on display. That's right. Because it, you can get to justice and mercy at the cross. Mm. And, and it demands the gospel solution. And that's the only way you can get there. So I hope you can talk about the gospel with some folks because you leaned in on this. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. And that's all for this episode of Develop in the Dark. Thanks for listening to Develop in the Dark. We hope that today's episode will help the light in you shine brighter than the light on you. 